Okay, so we're continuing on in this sermon series right now, going through uh, you know, this idea of Advent, and we're, we're breaking down a statement about Jesus, all right? It's a, this four-part statement, and, and last week uh, we covered the first part of it, but the statement is this, that Jesus came as a light in the dark, and he came to those who were waiting, and he came as a man and as a king, or as the Lord. So last week we talked about how he came to the darkness, and he came to open the eyes of the blind and to give them sight physically, uh, but certainly spiritually, to open their eyes so they could see God. And this week, we were talking about how um, Jesus came to, to those who were waiting, and those who were expecting him, those who were looking for him, those who were searching for him. And I'm really amped about this, I'm really excited about this, because uh, the story we're going to get into is about Zacchaeus, which many of us know that story, and it's actually, like, I kind of approach this with trepidation to cover a story that everybody knows so well. Like, if you've grown up in the church, you did flannel graphs, okay, about Zacchaeus, like you've seen him in the tree, you know. Um, but hopefully we can, we can look at this in a new way today, and, I, and I'm really excited about it because of who Jesus is in this story and how he goes after Zacchaeus the way that he does. Now, there's, there's some background to this story that you need to know. I was actually talking with Merle about this before the service, and... and uh, it's, it's really neat, okay? So Israel had been in silence for 400 years. For 400 years, they hadn't heard from a prophet. They had been waiting for God to do something, and they were losing hope, okay? They were, they were stressed out. They were burdened by this oppressive Roman government. They were returning from exile. You know, they'd been, part of them had been carried off to Babylon. Part had been carried off to Assyria, and they're slowly filling back into the promised land. The temple was, had been rebuilt, and they were, you know, because it had been destroyed before, it had been rebuilt, and they're slowly trying to incorporate worship there in different ways. And, and these, you know, like I said, there's, Rome was oppressing them. And part of the story today is that they were being taxed heavily, both by Herod, king of Israel, and by the Roman government. And, and it was just, it was a miserable existence for them. But one of the things that I think is really important to understand about Israel is that they were waiting for a physical kingdom, okay? If you look back into writings from this time, not many of them are walking around saying, when is God going to give us eternal life, okay? They were saying, when is God going to come back and bring us the kingdom? When is he going to come back and set up his, his personhood here in the temple? His manifest presence will be here, and we will have the shalom of God, the peace of God. We will have the blessing of of God, And they were expecting a physical, tangible kingdom in which they and their children could live and worship God freely. And I think that's important to remember, and that's often really why Jesus got into so much trouble, because he was promising that and so much more, and the Pharisees were not happy about it. We're going to be looking at a story today that's only recorded in the book of Luke, okay, in the gospel of Luke. Luke was a doctor, okay, and he, if you want to think about Luke in this way, he was sort of like an investigative journalist, when he writes this gospel. He goes around to gather evidence and to talk with, I'm assuming he talked to the disciples, I'm assuming he talked to key witnesses who were there to, to see what Jesus did, and he's writing this gospel to write all about the events of Jesus. And it's similar to Matthew and Mark in that it follows this chronological look at Jesus' life, his genealogy, his birth, his ministry, and his life and death, and his resurrection. Now, one of the things that I love about Luke all right. Now, I'm assuming if Luke is a doctor in you know, the first century, that he was probably in contact with broken people, in contact with dirty people, sinful people, probably had some contact with Gentiles. Okay? 
and he writes his gospel with them in mind. Now, this is something I'd encourage you as Christ followers, as readers of the gospel, that that you remember that these are authors who wrote with intent. The Holy Spirit guided them and gave them the words and gave them the stories to remember, but they wrote with an intent. And when you read Luke, you see that he writes going towards these people, that Jesus had a bent towards the broken, towards the hurting, towards the Gentiles, towards the unclean. And when you come to this story today, you see that Luke documents this over and over and over again, leading up to this this chapter about Zacchaeus. If you look back a few chapters, you see that Jesus heals ten lepers. No one wanted to touch lepers, but Jesus does, and he heals them. This, This widow is praised for her giving, and not for giving a lot, for giving a little. She was welcomed into the kingdom. The Pharisees, okay, these religious leaders who are waiting for the physical kingdom, they're shown to be corrupt. They were shown to be self-justifying. You see Jesus calling little children to himself, something that religious leaders of that day were like, no, 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 keep them away. They're not important. Jesus says, no, 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 the the children are important. You see that, that rich people often find themselves on the outside of the kingdom, not because they were rich, but because they couldn't worship the Lord, which goes against what the Israelites thought. They thought that, well, if you were rich, it was because God was blessing you. And Luke writes about Jesus saying, no, that's, it's the opposite. You see that blind people are in the kingdom. People who were thought to be sinful or sinful from birth are in the kingdom. And on and on. So what Luke is doing, he's highlighting the principles of the kingdom. He's highlighting that Jesus came to seek and save those being lost. That religion was losing. He came to seek and save them. So I want to read a couple passages with you. If you have your Bibles, you can look at these. I'm reading from um, the English Standard Version today. Uh, I I switched up a little bit because I like the way it translates some of the verbs in the the, uh, passage we're going to go after today. But if you look at chapter 15, this will kind of set the context for for this story about Zacchaeus. If you look at verse 1 of chapter 15, look at what Luke writes. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. To Jesus. Now, again, important to know, tax collectors hated by the Jews because they were taxing their brothers and sisters and taking money from them and oppressing them on behalf of the Roman government. Okay, so basically they're selling out their own flesh and blood for the sake of the Roman government. And when this word here, when it says tax collectors and sinners, really what sinners means is irreligious people, people who didn't know how to be good Jews, people of the land, they were called. They were out and about. They didn't come to temple, okay? They were just trying to live their lives. Well, they were looked down on. So it says, all these people are drawing near to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after that one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Jesus is specifically using this idea of tax collectors and sinners to say, I'm going after them. I'm going after these lost and broken people that, that you religionists have written off. I'm going after them. They are my lost sheep. Or look at uh, chapter 17, verse 20. This is sort of another kingdom principle at work here. In verse 20, it says this. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, remember this physical kingdom they're looking for, 
They say, when is this going to come? He answers them. The kingdom of God is not something, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Or it says, the kingdom of God is within you, or the kingdom of God is in your grasp. He's saying, this isn't some physical kingdom that's going to come in a way that you can point to and say, okay, now his throne has been established. Now it's this physical place that we can go and worship. Now it's this, this shalom uh, you know, for, for everyone, and we have good crops, and we have blessings, and God's manifest presence is here. He's saying, it's not going to look like you're expecting. It's already in your midst. It's already within you, or it could be within you. And look at 18, verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And that's, that can be convicting right there. They trusted themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now you've got to understand what Jesus did right there. He took the polar extremes, the polar opposites, and said, okay, here's the most righteous guy that you can think of and the worst guy that you can think of. And they both go up to the temple together. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see what Jesus is doing there? He's laying out, again, he's blowing their minds about what the kingdom is going to look like. And he's saying, it's not going to be this righteous Pharisee saying, look at me, I'm so great. Look at all that I've done for God. At least I'm not like this guy. And, and the sinner says, I can't, even, I can't even come close to God. I'm going to stand at a distance. And Jesus says, the humble will be exalted. Where he goes on to talk about the rich young ruler, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Again, saying, this guy isn't in trouble because he's rich. He's in trouble because he won't submit to the Lord. And he won't honor God. So all of that brings us to Zacchaeus. All right? I want you to picture this story. I'm not going to read it as much as I'm going to try to just work our way through it. But if you can picture these people expecting Jesus to bring a physical kingdom. And these throngs of people are coming around him saying, okay, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? We see that Jesus is walking towards Jerusalem. He is bent on going to Jerusalem. And he even tells the disciples just before this, the Son of Man will be betrayed and he will be beaten and he will, and he will be killed. He predicts his own death. And then on the way into Jericho, he heals a blind man. And he heals this guy, and I'm sure this just gets the crowd up to a fever pitch, thinking, okay, this is the Messiah. This is clearly the Savior of Israel. He's going to come and establish us again. And Jericho, they're going into, was this wealthy little city. Um, they, they had a ton of money there, and it was probably also a, a, a toll stop in between these two major uh, places. And, and we find this tax collector, Zacchaeus. So it says that Jesus enters Jericho, and he's passing through. All right, he's not planning on stopping, it doesn't seem like. He's just cruising through on his way to Jerusalem. And there's this man there named Zacchaeus, which actually means pure, or means righteous, believe it or not. And he was a chief tax collector and was rich. So not only is he a tax collector, he's like over a syndicate of tax collectors. Okay? He's over this region. And it's understood probably back then that you had to buy your way into this. 
lifestyle. You had to, like, buying an accountant's book. Like, he buys this book of, of people he's going to tax, and he has these minions who go out and tax people, and they bring him money, and he just gets wealthier and wealthier. It says that he's very rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on the count of the crowd, he could not. Because he's short. He's a wee little man, remember? And I know as a short guy what this is like, okay? Like, when you're in a crowd, all you can see is the backs of people's heads. Like, if anybody knows Jesse from church, the guy's like 6'8", he can see over everything. Like, I'm so envious of that. So here's Zacchaeus. Somehow, I think, the way I interpret this, is that he's heard about Jesus. Somehow, he knows about Jesus' um, his personhood, like what he's claimed about himself. He knows the promises. He knows something about him because it's driving him to go and see who he is, indicating that he doesn't know what he looks like. Now, if you can picture, like I know this is hard for us to think about, it, like picture like the 1800s, you know, Abraham Lincoln is running for president. The only thing you could do was read about him in the paper. Like there was no TV to know what he looked like. You, you know, you, unless you got to see him in person, you had no idea what he looked like. So you would try to look over a crowd to see him. So Zacchaeus is doing this. This crowd's coming through, thronging around Jesus. They're super excited about what he's doing. And Zacchaeus is saying, I got to go find this guy. I need to see who he is. So, again, I don't know if maybe he was married. Maybe his wife told him about Jesus. In other passages, we see that tax collectors are gathering around Jesus to hear him teaching. So maybe his little syndicate of guys is coming back telling him about who Jesus is, saying, hey, this is what this guy's promising us, even us tax collectors. Even we can be a part of this kingdom, Zacchaeus. So Zacchaeus says, I want to find who this guy is. I want to know who he is. So he, he runs ahead of the crowd. And he climbs up into a sycamore fig tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So he makes this great effort to go and climb in this tree. I love this part. When Jesus came to the place, he looks up to him and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. This to me is like, I love this part of the story. Can you picture the joy in Jesus' face? Like in my mind, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but in my mind, this is like these two guys recognize each other. There's something kindred in their spirit in my mind that he's saying, Zacchaeus, I want to come and stay at your house today. And that word there really means I want to come and I want to hang out for a good amount of time. I want to feast with you. And it says that Zacchaeus hurried down and welcomed him. That is the joy right there of our Savior coming after us, saying, I love you. I want to come and spend time with you today. Come on down out of the tree, you short little man. Let's go, let's go hang out today. So it says that he receives him joyfully. And when the crowd sees it, they all grumbled. This is the whole crowd, not just the Pharisees. This is everyone, okay? So, like, this is all the good religious people. This is the people expecting Jesus to bring the physical kingdom. They all get irritated by this. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And they're just incredulous about this. It says, Zacchaeus stood and he says to the Lord. Now, this is why I'm reading from the ESV, okay? Because if you read this in the Greek, this was in the present tense that he says this. That Zacchaeus says this. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So a lot of times when this is translated, it, it makes it seem like, okay, Zacchaeus wants to know who Jesus is. He sees Jesus. Something miraculous happens, which I'm not discrediting. It certainly could happen. But Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus sees him, and suddenly he repents of everything. And he's like, if I've done any of this wrong, I'll give it back. But if you read it in the Greek, it's present tense. I think what he's saying is, I'm doing this. I'm I'm giving to the poor. 
If I've extorted anyone, if I've hurt anyone, I'm giving it back to them, even more than the law says that I'm required. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The Lord is so good in this. And he declares in front of these people, he says, this man has salvation. This man is part of the kingdom of God. Despite all your preconceived notions about tax collectors and sinners, despite all of that, the the physical kingdom you were expecting, no, 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 this is salvation for this man. He gets it. He understands it. That's why he's been trying the way that he has. And I'm bringing salvation to him today. And I'm going to go and feast with him and bring him the true shalom of God. So I'm going to look at a couple different people in this story. Zacchaeus, Jesus, and the people. Okay, this crowd. All right, so first of all, Zacchaeus. We're saying today that that Jesus comes to be a light in the dark, and he comes to those who are waiting and those who are searching. Well, Zacchaeus was actively waiting, okay, which those things kind of seem like an oxymoron. But he wasn't just sitting around. He was active in his waiting for the Messiah. He was pursuing Jesus. Now, if you think about Zacchaeus, I want to try to draw a parallel to our lives. I think that Zacchaeus was starting to grasp that Jesus was king. But he also lived in an environment where the kingdom wasn't there yet. So he understands that Jesus is king and he believes this, but the kingdom is not there yet. It's the same place that we are now. Okay? If we're here and you know, we're, we're gathering in this church because we love Jesus, we're going to claim him as king, and his kingdom is in our midst, but it's not here fully, right? We say that it's going to come someday when Jesus returns and he's going to bring his kingdom in its fullness. So in some ways, we're in a similar place of believing that Jesus is king, but not yet living in the full glory of his kingdom. So Zacchaeus actively waits, and Jesus presents himself to him and, brings, and comes and visits with him. So how did he actively wait? First of all, he does three things. First is that he was looking for Jesus. Okay? He went after Jesus. He went searching for him. He runs. He runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs a tree, like throwing all, like all things to the wind. He's like, forget it. I don't care how undignified this looks. I'm a rich, short man. I'm climbing a tree. I don't care what anybody thinks. I need to see this man, Jesus. So he pursues him with vigor. And he makes an effort. He's not worried about what his appearance looks like. There's this sense of, in my mind, desperation about Zacchaeus, that he wants to know who this Jesus is. And the second thing we see in verse 6 is that he welcomes Jesus into his sphere of influence. I don't know if you've heard Adam talk about that before, but that's, that's big for us, is that we have this sphere of influence, and, and we, we're not to separate Jesus on the outside of our sphere of influence, and then we just have this over here. He's saying, no, no, no. Zacchaeus brings Jesus into his sphere of influence. He probably invited his other tax collector friends over, maybe his family. He was probably a person of of means, so he has this big party, and he invites Jesus into it. He responds to Jesus' invitation and brings him into his home. It's another way that he waits. The third thing he does is he's making restitution. He's making good on the things that he's done wrong. And he lives out these kingdom principles. It says that he pays back four times. That's 25%. The law only required 20%. And he's giving back 25%. He's giving to the poor. And like I said, this was in the present tense that he's saying he's doing these things. Look, I want to be clear, very clear. I'm not saying that he did these things and he earned salvation. Okay, 
Jesus said that no man comes to the Father unless he draws him. All right, so Zacchaeus is starting to live out kingdom principles, but not because of anything inside of him, because of what God was doing in him, and Zacchaeus is responding in kind. He's responding to God working in his heart already, and he goes about it by making restitution. We've talked about it before here. It's it's grace-motivated obedience, right? He sees what God is doing, and he responds with obedience. So what he's doing is he's not just waiting so that someday this can come. He's bringing it about himself. He's starting to trust in Jesus as as his Savior, and he's starting to respond to him as king and living out kingdom principles. In Luke 12, 35, Jesus talks to the disciples, and, and it's in several places in the New Testament, where we are warned about watching for Jesus, to be on the lookout for him, that he will return and he shouldn't find us just kind of lollygagging around. Okay, not that we're earning anything by our work, but we're responding in allegiance to him. If he's truly king and he's truly setting up his kingdom, we should be acting accordingly. And Jesus warns his disciples, and and our warning throughout all the New Testament is that we should be working for the Lord, motivated by grace. Not earning anything, but motivated by who he is as our king. So the question this morning for me that I've been wrestling through, the question for us as a church is, are we actively waiting for Jesus to come as king? Are we actively waiting for him? Or are we just waiting for heaven someday? See, it's going to be great. I I will be loud enough, I promise. I will stand on a chair and yell. Are we actively waiting for Jesus? I think it means you're supposed to get something, and I'm supposed to learn something. Or are we just sitting around waiting for heaven to come someday? Oftentimes, that's what I find myself doing. Well, someday Jesus will make good on his promises. Someday it'll all work out. But for right now, woe is me. I just wish Jesus would do a miracle and work it all out. When the truth is, he's called us to pursue him. He's called us to work towards him. To respond to his grace in obedience. So how do we do this? If Zacchaeus was looking, if he was looking for Jesus, how do we look for Jesus? How do we look for Jesus? We can read scripture. Okay, Again, not as a, you need to read scripture. You read scripture to look for Jesus, to see where he is, to see what his promises are for us. We can fast, we can pray, we can practice spiritual disciplines. Again, motivated by grace to know more of God. We can serve. We can be a community group together. We do these things to look for Jesus and where he's at work and what he's doing and look for his promises. About making restitution like Zacchaeus does. We can live kingdom values. Okay, This, is, this to me is huge. Because oftentimes we walk around and we're saying, you know what, I love this Jesus guy. He's my savior. And then we do that on a Sunday and we go about and we live the rest of our weeks like it's not really true. If Jesus is truly our king, if he truly taught us how to be human, if he he gave the Sermon on the Mount so that we could learn from him what the full life looks like, why would we not do it if we really believe him? We're called to live out kingdom values. And in that, we experience the full life. There was a guy uh, who I know who... He, he started in his career as a roofer. Uh, he and his brother had a little roofing company. 
And over the years, he, he bought a roofing company and became a general contractor. And then eventually, he started uh, buying and fixing up homes. And, and he's done quite well for himself. And amazing guy. And, and what I've seen in his life was that he understands what God has done for him, and he responds in grace by living this out to his workers, to the people around him. And, and one of the things that, that he did is, is amazing. At, at our old church where we just came from in South Jersey, this guy had bought uh, a former YMCA camp. And it was kind of defunct and falling apart. And he bought it because he was going to build three homes, one for himself and one for each of his kids. And after a little while, he felt like, you know what? That's living for me. That's, that's living for me. And he gave it to the church. It was like a multi-million dollar property that he had dreams for, and he gives it to the church. That's living out kingdom values. Now, okay, so you're not a roofer turned business owner turned uh, guy who buys houses, fix them up, and sells them and buys camps and gives them to churches. Okay, I get that that's not the majority of us. But we have things that we can do to live out kingdom values. We have ways that we can be a blessing to the people around us. We have ways that we can be a blessing to our, our family. We can make restitution with people we've wronged. We can love the people around us and on and on. You understand what I'm saying. And finally, Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his sphere of influence. So in my mind, what this looks like is you are hanging out with your neighbors. Okay, You are being good neighbors. You are loving the people at your workplace and you are inviting them into your sphere of influence where they meet Jesus. You can love the people around you and they can see Jesus in you and you can speak Jesus and speak the gospel into their lives. But all of this was because Zacchaeus did this because he really believed, I think, that Jesus was king and that Jesus was Messiah and he wasn't going to just wait around for the kingdom to come. He was going to actively pursue it. Now, I think, to me, the best analogy I could think of in this is, is like getting married, okay? When you are engaged, you believe that your future spouse is the one that you're supposed to be with. You don't wait until you're married to start acting like that, right? That wouldn't go so well, okay? You, you are engaged to them because you believe they're the one. You believe that Jesus is the king, even though his kingdom hasn't come fully yet, but you live accordingly, and you live it out. Folks, we are called to be active in our relationship with Jesus. We are called to wait, but actively. We don't just wait for heaven to come someday. We, we start living it out now because we believe that he's the king. The second person I want to look at is Jesus. Like I said, I, I love Jesus' interaction with Zacchaeus in this. He responds to active waiting by giving relationship. Okay, that is the ultimate blessing in the Christian life is that we get relationship with God. We get the fullness of life by having relationship with God. Look what he does. He goes and he joins Zacchaeus in his house. Okay, Zacchaeus is actively waiting. Jesus goes and he feasts with him. He gives him his presence. That is what we get when we pursue God. We're not looking for an earthly blessing. We're looking for the spiritual blessing of knowing the Lord. And again, the gospel says that we don't earn any of this, so I want to be very clear that's not what I'm saying. But I think Jesus responds to even our littlest efforts. And if we slowly try to walk towards him, 
We make little efforts to know him better. He loves us and he responds accordingly. And he gives us his presence, which is exactly what he does for Zacchaeus. This sinful little guy who's broken and hurt so many people so far from God, yet his little act of obedience, of pursuing Jesus, and Jesus responds by saying, I want to come and I want to hang out with you. I want to come and bring my presence to your house today. I think of it like, like this. We don't work to earn it. We're working in tandem with what God is doing. We're not saying I'm going to work so, so I, I, I get this thing from God. We, we work alongside of what God is doing, and inside of that we have relationship with him. It's like being best friends with somebody. You hang out, you do the same things, you grow in camaraderie, you get to know him more and more and more. And that's what God does for us when we take little steps towards him. He rewards with his presence. We'll come back to Jesus in a minute. Look at the third group, the people. The the religious, the elites, and the everyday people who are just waiting for Jesus to bring his kingdom. The people respond to Jesus' grace towards Zacchaeus, and they are furious. They can't believe that Jesus would go and hang out with this man. And again, this is not just the Pharisees. This is all the people, because they expected the kingdom to look a certain way. And you know how they expected it to look? Like us. They expected the kingdom. They're saying, it's going to look like us. He doesn't look like us. He doesn't act like us. He's not being a good Jewish man. He's abusing his brothers and sisters. He's not going to the temple to worship. He's not doing all the right things. He's not giving enough. He doesn't look like us. How can the kingdom come? How can the Messiah go and hang out with him? Folks, that's religion. Religion says that. Religion says the kingdom is going to look a certain way. Our way. We will set it up. And you don't fit. (laughs) That's ultimately what the Pharisees were saying to Zacchaeus. It's what the people were saying to Jesus. You don't look the right way. You don't belong in this kingdom. And yet, Jesus loves Zacchaeus. He says, this is a lost sheep who I'm going after. And I love him. I'm for him. And here's something to take away from this. Jesus was committed to Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus said anything. You understand that? Before anything happens in this this story, Jesus invited himself into his home. He brought his presence to him. Before he did anything right, before he said, oh, I'm I'm doing all these things well, Jesus was for him. And the, and the the religious people and those looking for a physical kingdom had no idea what to do with that. So again, the question for me that I had to wrestle through this week and that we need to wrestle through as a church community is who doesn't fit our mold? Who would we look at and say, well, they don't, uh, they don't quite act like us. I don't know if they belong in the kingdom. Because we all do it. We all do it in little ways. There are people who we kind of pull back about and say, uh, I don't know. And Jesus says, I love them. They're lost sheep. Go and bring the kingdom to them. Go and bring the gospel to them. I heard a guy say one time that that nobody sets out to be a Pharisee. It's sort of like uh, nobody sets out to go to Denny's. You just kind of end up there. Like, it's it's the same thing with us. When when you've been saved for a long time, you start to think that you have it all together and you just kind of end up there eventually if you don't constantly remind yourselves, like the tax collector in the temple saying, woe is me, a sinner, but for the grace of God. Right? 
We should constantly be looking for people around us who need the gospel not to fit our mold. Finally, coming back to Jesus. He comes to seek and save the lost. Again, if you look at at Luke 15, when Jesus is talking about the 99 sheep and the one he lost, or the one who was lost, he goes after the lost sheep. I think a lot of what, what he was going after, even in this passage, is saying, I'm going after the lost, the people that religion is losing. Okay, the people that aren't understanding the gospel, the people who are being burdened with this heavy yoke by the Pharisees and religion, I'm going after them. And I think what the people wanted, what the Pharisees wanted, they wanted a bit of a holy huddle. All right, we just want to get together. We want everybody to look like us. We want to hang out and be together. We don't really care who's on the outside. And Jesus says, no, 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 I've come for the people on the outside. I've come to restore them to a right relationship with the Father, where they're whole, where they're made whole, where they're safe, where they're known. And Jesus, Jesus wanted Zacchaeus in the kingdom. And Jesus responded to even his little effort by going after him and his active waiting and saying, you get it, come and worship me, come and be with me, and I will give you the peace of God. You see, Zacchaeus had lost the right to be a child of Abraham. Remember, that's what Jesus says to him. He says, this man is also a son of Abraham. Salvation's come to him today. He's also a son of Abraham. Paul talks about this in a couple different places, but in Galatians 3.29, he says that, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to a promise. Jesus, again, completely blows their paradigm out of the water and says, he doesn't look like you think he's going to look, does he? This sinful man. He doesn't look like Abraham's son, does he? But... He gets it. At a spiritual level, he has found salvation. He's brought back into the fold, and he's made a child of God. Folks, that, that's all of us. Like, we've all been grafted in, Paul says. Most of us, unless you have a Jewish heritage, like, you're a dirty Gentile on the outside, and, and Jesus, through faith in him, brings you into the family of God, into those who've been made righteous by belief, by faith, through Christ's grace towards us. So I read all this, and, and I come through this story, and I am blown away by Jesus' love for Zacchaeus, by his grace towards him. And I'm reminded in the same way, and I hope all of us are reminded in the same way, that, that Jesus is for us. He came on behalf of us. So when we're, we're going around Christmas and we're celebrating uh, today at the event thing that I don't want to pronounce the name again, uh, and we're seeing these little manger scenes, it's not just a sweet baby. This was a man and the Lord who came on our behalf and said, I see you. I see the little efforts that you're making to come to me, and I see that you believe that I'm king, and I'm for you, and I will bring you the peace of God, and I will bring you right relationship. And I will even go to the cross for it. I will go to death for it. And I'll be resurrected for it. So this Christmas season, you know, to to wrestle with this a little bit, how are you waiting? Are we waiting for a Savior who looks just like us? Are we actively pursuing it? Are we just hoping for heaven someday? We're hoping that Jesus will just do miracles and we don't really have to put any effort into it. He's calling us to actively 
wait for him. So I pray that you'll consider that this week when you see the manger scenes and when you gather on Christmas, remember this king who came for us. Let's pray.